Word of the Lord tonight. I'm so glad to see you here tonight for Bible study. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to just look at what the Lord would have for us tonight. I want to talk to you tonight about a subject that is, uh, that is very important to us, um, very important to cover, and uh, it involves a word that I think uh, maybe strikes sobriety, develops sobriety in our hearts. We're talking about backsliding. Everybody say backsliding. I want to talk to you about the process of backsliding. And, uh, and, 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 and this is something that I want to talk about because there, there's nothing more tragic in, in the kingdom of God than to see someone who had served the Lord, who had been brought out of darkness, who had had great wonders done in their lives, and then fallen away from the Lord. And, and, and having backslid. And it's important for us to recognize that it can take place in the heart and the lifestyle of, of anybody. And it is important, the Bible said, to take heed lest you think you stand but are in fact falling. And so, so it's important that we have this uh, lesson tonight talking about the matter of backsliding. Before we go into the word of the Lord... I want to mention that uh, I do want to, t I want to announce again on Sunday night, June 9th. Everybody say June 9th. Sunday night. That is Pentecost Sunday. On that Sunday night, we're going to be having a, a Holy Ghost explosion at Princeton Pike Church of God. The apostolic community of Cincinnati is going to come together and have a great time in the Holy Ghost. Bishop C. Sean Tyson will be preaching uh, this, is, uh, this is one of our very favorite preachers and an outstanding man of God. Pastors in Indianapolis, Indiana, Christ Church Apostolic, and Youngstown, Ohio. Two congregations, two of the very historic congregations in Pentecost. And uh, it's going to be a great time in the Holy Ghost. So we want to be there with our shouting shoes on, ready to receive the word of the Lord. And we're believing God to do great miracles in that service. Amen. Uh, but we're talking tonight about the process of backsliding. I, I want to say, uh, first of all, that backsliding is, is not something that just occurs uh, overnight. It doesn't just occur in a, in a moment. Uh, and, and, and there's a difference between struggling and backsliding. There's a difference between struggling and backsliding. If you are struggling with a thing, with a, with a challenge, something the enemy has brought against you, I want to encourage you to know that, that you are in the fight. Fight the good fight. And don't be ashamed of the struggle that you have, but fight till you win. Fight till you come through to absolute victory. It is important that you have that. There's a difference between somebody who is turning away. That's backsliding. Backsliding is turning away. There's a difference between that and somebody who is knocked down in the midst of their struggle. Uh, I think of someone by, like, like Samson, for instance, who fought a lion famously in the scriptures. Now, we know that the Spirit of the Lord would come upon Samson and he would fight the lion 
and he slew the lion. And it's easy for us to read that story and talk about the fact that Samson had great anointing. He had great power. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. The lion lunged at him and he defeated the lion and, and it's something great to preach and shout about. But I wonder if in that battle, if Samson was shouting about it, I wonder if in that struggle, if Samson was, was feeling the victory. I wonder how many times the lion had Samson down. I wonder how many times Samson thought, I hope I make it out of this thing alive. I don't know. I don't know if he just grabbed the lion and slew it and marched on and said, I'm Samson. They're going to preach about me. And they're going to talk about my great victories. Or if it was as it would be for us. I just imagine if a line comes out against me, that, that that's going to be a little bit of a tussle, even with the victory that God gives me. Because God teaches us something through our struggles. So I don't want anybody to feel like just because you have a struggle that you are somehow being defeated. If you'll stay in the fight, you'll have the victory. Amen. Don't stop struggling. If you're struggling, stay in the fight. Don't let the devil come beat you up because you've got some kind of a struggle. Stay in the fight. Continue praying. Continue seeking God. Continue seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you will come out on the other side of that struggle victorious. Amen. It's not the same as backsliding. Backsliding is turning away. From the things of God. And it's, it's, it's an amazing thing because you see it, you see it in the lives of, of people where that they have a great testimony. They have a great experience with the Lord. People who many times have a wonderful uh, uh, opportunity to serve God, do serve God, do wonderful things for God. And then somehow, some way in the process of time, they have turned away and the Bible gives us uh, warnings about that, gives us caution about that. And none of us want to be a backslider. The very word itself uh, gives strong connotation of giving up, of being defeated, of, of, of losing out, of slipping, slippage, somehow falling back from the progress that, that we have made. And so we want, to, we want to guard against that because it can happen to anybody and uh, we want to understand where does it begin. That's really what we're going to be concentrating on tonight. And I plan to cover more of this in subsequent Bible studies. But tonight I want to concentrate on where does backsliding begin. Where does it begin? And I want to begin by uh, turning your attention to the book of Genesis chapter 19. And we're going to talk again about backsliding. What it is and and. And what the Bible has to say about it. Genesis chapter 19. We're going to the very amazing uh, story of God's judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. God judged Sodom and he judged Gomorrah because of the violence that was in those cities. Because of the perverse immorality that was in those cities. And it was a place that had, had devolved into such degradation that the judgment of God came upon it swiftly. And the Lord in his mercy came to Abraham's nephew by the name of Lot and said to Lot, I'm going to get you out of here, you and your family, I'm going to get you out of here. And, uh, and then here comes the judgment of God. 
As they're leaving in Genesis chapter 19 verse 17, the scripture says it came to pass when they, they, the angels, had brought them, the family of Lot, forth abroad, that he said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. You and I must never forget that, that God saves us from sin. And he saves us from the elements of this world, from the rudiments, as Paul would call it, the rudiments of this world. He saves us from this world and he saves us from sin. If we develop a level of comfort with sin and we develop a, a cohabitation, if you please, with sin, an ease with the idea of sin, then we, we, we cease to need a Savior. And we begin to think that we don't need God to be our Savior. But you and I need God to be our Savior. He's not just our comforter. He is our Savior. He is not just our healer. He is our Savior. He is saving us from a world that is condemned. And so this is what the angel is telling Lot and his family. Don't look behind you. I am pulling you out of a place that is about to be judged, is about to be condemned. Go to the mountain, escape to the mountain, lest you be consumed. Verse number 26, the Bible says, But Lot's wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, that seems harsh. That she would look behind her and, oh, you look behind you, so you're a pillar of salt. That's a pretty harsh judgment. And it is a reminder to us that we do not need to look back upon the things that God has brought us out of. The case could be made that she had memories there. She had family that this is where her children were raised. This, there, was, there was meaning to this place and now it's going to be judged and she looks behind her and because of that, God turns her into a pillar of salt but look at verse 29. The Bible says it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham. First of all, verse 27, following verse 26. Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overflow, overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. Now, Abraham looked upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And God blessed him. Lot's wife looked upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and God judged her. It wasn't the visual the visualizing of the cities that, was, that brought the judgment of God. It's not that she glanced back to see what happened to her house. It was that the difference in where the heart was. She was being pulled out of Sodom and Gomorrah against her will. And her heart was in the place that was about to be judged. When she looked upon it, she looked upon it with longing. 
When Abraham looked upon it, he looked upon it with mere observation. God was not judging her act as much as he was where her heart was. And that's where we have to understand backsliding is a thing that does, in fact, bring the judgment of God because God is, God is seeing us turn away from his love, turn away from his salvation, turn away from his glory, and going back to the very thing that is about to be condemned and judged by God. And so we want to be very careful with this. Luke chapter 17 brings our attention back to this matter of Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgment of God upon those places. The, the, Luke chapter 17 and verse number, verse number uh, we're going to read from verse number 26. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. This is referring to looseness and lewdness and and, uh, and promiscuity until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, you need to understand our day in which we live is growing increasingly like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. This day in which we live is growing increasingly like the days of Noah. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house... Let him not come down to take it away. Do not fall in love with your material possessions. Don't even come down from the housetop to get your stuff out of the house. He that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. You and I are living for another land. You and I are living for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and not the kingdom of man. And then he gives us this sobering reminder. It's, the, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of the shortest verses in the Bible. And he simply says this, Remember Lot's wife. Keep it ever present in your mind that, that you need not look back upon the things that God delivered you out of. If he delivered you out of a bondage, don't look longingly upon that bondage. It is possible. It is possible. To be removed from a thing long enough that you forget the pain associated with it. That you forget the shame associated with it. That you forget the sorrow and the suffering associated with it. And so you can begin longing for the, for the glowing parts that are present in your memory. And God said, remember Lot's wife when you begin to look longingly upon the things that God delivered you out of. Jeremiah, the Bible, uh, records his ministry to the nation of Israel. He wept as he prophesied to the nation of Israel. He, was known, he is known in history by us as the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. Thank God for a weeping prophet. Amen. You know, he had some pretty hard prophecies to give. And it was no fun giving them, so he wept when he gave those prophecies. 
See, I, I, I love, I don't mind. I think we need to preach the whole counsel of God. I don't just think that. I know that. The Bible tells us we must declare the whole counsel of God. That means we got to preach that God is gracious, and we have to preach that God is just. We have to preach that there is a heaven, and we have to preach that there is a hell. We have to preach love and mercy, and we have to preach fire and brimstone. It's all true. We've got to preach all of it. But when you preach about the harshness of God, and when you preach about the judgment of God, and when you preach about the indignation of God, preach it with weeping, not with glee, not with gladness. Don't take joy in the plight of those who will be judged, but weep as you declare and deliver the word of the Lord. And know that God will save all who will come unto him. Praise the Lord. But Jeremiah preached to a backslidden people. People who had been delivered out of idolatry. People who had been delivered out of, out of uh, shame and out of sin. And they were going back. They were backsliding. Amen. And so he preached uh, to them that they must come out of their backsliding. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 8, I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away. I had given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah, he's talking about the two kingdoms, Israel and Judah, she feared not. But she went and played the harlot also. It came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly, saith the Lord. And the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel. Return, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God. And has scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. And you have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. Backsliding is turning away. The remedy to backsliding is turning to the Lord. And it doesn't matter where you are on your backslidden journey. If you have walked so far away from the Lord, all you've got to do is turn around. Turn around. Backsliding is turning away from God. Repenting is turning to God. It's really simple. Backsliding is turning away from God. Repenting is turning to God. Tonight we want to talk about where does backsliding begin. We understand that it means that, that people fall into idolatry, that they go into the things that God delivered them from. We understand that it means they long after the things that God is going to judge. We understand that it means that there, there are unclean desires that rise up within them even after God has done a great and, and wonderful work in their life. But, but where does this begin? Where does this phenomenon called backsliding begin. It is an absolute tragedy when 
an individual backslides. If you have experienced backsliding, if you have turned away from the Lord, you know it is a scary place to be. And if you've experienced that and have come back to the Lord, we rejoice in the Lord and we thank God for that. We give God praise for that. But we're going to look at what is it that that actually causes this process to even begin. I'm going to read from Jude the book of Jude, and we're going to begin reading at the third verse. Jude verse 3. There's only one chapter in Jude, so we will obviously read from that one chapter and from the third verse. And it says, it, it, it's referring, to, it's referring to, to sinful people. Listen to what the Bible says. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Why? Why should we earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints? Here's why. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. What they're participating in it's, it's condemned already. When, when we backslide, we go, into, we go into things that are already condemned. God help us all. Ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men. And here's something very important. Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. There is such a thing as false grace. Here's the grace of God. The grace of God is that One man who was God in flesh achieved the favor of God on our behalf. Something we could not do for ourselves. His name is Jesus. We exalt him. We adore him. We worship him. We're washed by his precious blood. Oh, hallelujah. But it is he who has has entered into the holy place and became the perpetual sin offering on our behalf. And this this man merited, God in flesh, he merited the favor of God. He earned the favor of God. Then he gave it to us who did not earn it, who cannot earn it. And that's when we call it the unmerited favor of God. But grace is grace. It's just simply favor. He merited it. We received it in an unmerited way. It is something that produces righteousness in us. It is not to be seen as a cover for all the sins we want to commit. If you get a hold of the real grace of God, it will consume those sinful desires. And it will impart to you the divine nature of God. And you will be remade in the image of God. Just as Adam was in the beginning, you will be brought back to that place. Hallelujah. And if you'll let grace work the work that grace can work in your life, he will literally replace your carnal desires with spiritual desires. Hallelujah. Now you have a fleshly body, a carnal body. Paul called it the body of this death. And as long as you have that body of death... That body of death will war against that grace that is at work in you. And so you will, 
you will find temptation waiting for you. And it will be your body that wants to give over to that temptation. But if you'll let the grace of God flourish in your spirit, then the, where sin did abound, grace does much more abound. But he said, these certain men who are ungodly men teach that the grace of God is nothing more than lasciviousness or licentiousness or a license to do whatever you want to do. Whatever your carnal body wants to do, you just do it and, and grace will cover it. That's false grace. It is clear in the scriptures that there is a list of sinful activities and sinful indulgences and, and, and works of the flesh that prohibit us from entering into the kingdom of God. And it is not to be seen as something that is a light thing. You just, you just you're okay, I'm okay. If you want to do it, it can't be that bad. Just go ahead and do it and everybody's doing it. That's not how it works. The grace of God, when it works inside of you, it works righteousness inside of you. When the grace of God is at work inside of you, it works holiness inside of you. When the grace of God is at work inside of you, it begins to war against those destructive, carnal desires. And if we'll preach it the way that it's really intended to be preached, that's exactly what will result in the life of the believer. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. But he said they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. They're denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. They were brought out of a place of bondage, and here they are. And they still don't believe. They backslid. They backslid. And the Lord destroyed them that believed not. The angels. He begins to list instances in the scriptures of backsliding. The angels which kept not their first estate. But left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness. Under the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. This is a direct reference to homosexuality. It is a sin. It's a sin in the scriptures. It's a sin in the Old Testament. It's a sin in the New Testament. It's a sin in 2019. And it's a sin that must be Overcome through the blood of Jesus Christ. They are set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but saith, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. Here it is. And here's where I want to focus. Woe unto them. For they have gone in the way of Cain. They have ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. And they have perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Those three things. They have gone in the way of Cain. 
They have ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and they have perished in the gainsaying of Korah. This gives us a process of backsliding. It starts by going in the way of Cain. It is then manifested by running greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. And then they perish in the gainsaying of Korah. And we see this take place in the lives of individuals. Tonight we want to talk about where does backsliding begin. It begins by going in the way of Cain. It begins by going in the way of Cain. And we're going to look quickly to the, to the matter of Cain. Genesis chapter 4. This is where backsliding begins. This is where people fall into sin. They fall into fornication. They fall into uh, lying. They fall into uh, pride. They fall into envy. They fall into greed. And they turn away from the Lord. Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to read from the first verse. Adam knew Eve, his wife, she conceived and bare Cain. And said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against his brother and slew him. Backsliding begins... When you develop aught against your brother. That's where backsliding begins. Backsliding does not begin with temptation. Backsliding begins with aught against your brother or your sister in the Lord. That's the path of the backslider. When you feel hurt by your brother or your sister. It, and you allow it to fester in your spirit. And you begin to develop feelings against someone that you are to be in spiritual fellowship with. It opens a door for backsliding in your life. See, when you are at one with the body of Christ and you have love for your brother and love for your sister. And then temptation comes against you. You might struggle against that temptation. But you're not going to turn away from the Lord over it. You might, it might be something you battle. It might be something that you have to fight against. It might be something you have to pray and fast about. But, but you, you use the strength you gain from your brother and your sister as a way of, of fighting that spiritual battle. But when you are at odds with your brother or your sister, you are going in the way of Cain. And when you begin to hate them and you begin to develop odd against them. Notice what 1 John chapter 3 verse 11 says. This is the message that you heard from the beginning. From the beginning this was the message you heard. From the very beginning. This, was, this, isn't, just, this isn't a new message that started on the, on the Sermon on the Mount. 
This isn't a new message that Jesus gave to his disciples. This is the message from the very beginning of time. That you, that we should love one another. That's the message from the beginning. That we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. He had envy against his brother because his brother's righteous works were favored of the Lord. And his works were evil and he was unwilling to adjust his works. All Cain had to do was recognize what God showed respect unto and then accommodate what gained God's favor and said, Lord, I am... I am so focused on pleasing you and being in covenant with you and being in relationship with you that what you desire, that will I bring to you. But instead of doing that, he wanted to feel justified in his own works and say, this is the best I can do. This is all I will do. And what Abel has done, that's his business. But God is showing respect unto Abel and he's showing respect unto Abel's sacrifice. And Cain began to feel envy toward his brother. Now, I want to just focus on this for a moment. Because his own works were evil. And his brother's works were righteous. He became filled with wrath toward his brother because of the favor of God in his brother's life. You can always tell whether your works are righteous or not by how content you are with them. For instance, if I do something for God as a righteous work, if I'm not content in simply letting that be a righteous work as done unto the Lord, then it's not righteous. If I want credit for that work that I have done for the Lord, it is not a righteous work. If I want God then to look upon it and, and give me favor and not someone else. It's not a righteous work. When I bring my sacrifice to the Lord, I need to be able to lay it confidently at His feet and walk away knowing that there's something special between me and God. And if nobody claps their hands for it, and if nobody sings my praises for it, and if nobody puts my name in print over it, it doesn't matter because it was a work that was done unto the Lord and not for anybody else's pleasure. <laughs> Hallelujah. You will, spend, you will spend a good bit of your time laboring in the kingdom of God doing things that go unnoticed. That only your father which seeth in secret, and he will reward you on he will reward you openly. God will see it and God will reward you as is needed. You don't need to look around at other people who are being rewarded by God and become envious of them. That's where backsliding begins. When you begin to look at someone else, someone who has wounded you or hurt you or you have developed hate in your heart for them, or you have developed envy in your heart for them, you are, you are stepping onto a dangerous path 
that leads to the perishing of the gainsaying of Korah. And it will take you down a long and a winding road that you don't want to go down. It is called backsliding. There are people who sit in pews who are backslidden in their hearts. And they sing the songs and they clap their hands and they say all the right words and they've got the lingo down just right, but their hearts are far from Him. And it starts with being wounded against your brother and in developing a hatred or an envy against your brother. That is the way of Cain. You have to be deliberate. You have to be deliberate in the love that you show to your brother or to your sister. A wounded spirit is what the enemy will use to begin to lead you down a pathway that will ultimately turn you away from the Lord. Love your way out of that deception. Hallelujah. Love your way out of that deception. And when you begin to love your way out of that deception, you will find joy in love again. It will satisfy the deepest parts of your soul when you begin to love your brother and love your sister. When you begin to love your neighbor as yourself, you will begin to tap into the divine nature that God always intended to make a part of your life. And you will put a stop to that vicious cycle of backsliding. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. It's a trick of the enemy. It's a trick of the enemy. He wants to get you jealous of somebody else's success. He wants to get you jealous of somebody else's favor. He wants to get you envious of somebody else's opportunity. He wants, to, he wants to cause you to be offended by someone and then harbor feelings of offense and bitterness and resentment toward that person. Why? Not just to break up your relationship. He wants to destroy your soul. He wants to lead you into a place of backsliding. But I want you to look with me again at Genesis chapter 4. We're going to read the last portion of this, of this chapter because the first half of this chapter deals with Cain being rejected by the Lord, his sacrifice being rejected by the Lord. And let me tell you something. If God is rejecting something that you're bringing to him, don't insist in your arrogance to continue bringing that to God. It is God's prerogative. Remember, He's God. He will lead you and guide you into how you can step out of that turmoil you're in and into His divine pleasure if you'll let Him. When He leads you and guides you, follow Him. The writer asks the question, Lord, what do you require of me? I, I, I offer you these things. But what do you require of me? And the Lord told the prophet Micah that the Lord requires us to love mercy and to do justly and to walk humbly before thy God. David said, you desire not sacrifice, else would I give it. But you desire a broken spirit and a contrite heart. You desire truth in the inward parts. In other words, I know now what the lamb represents. And I know now what the firstling of the flock represents. And so I will gladly bring the firstling of the flock. 
He didn't stop bringing the firstling of the flock. David didn't. He brought it, but he brought it because he understood what it represented. Be obedient to God. Let God lead you and guide you. If God says to you that you need to change something, change it. If God says to you your attitude needs adjusted, adjust it and let the Lord adjust it. I love this passage of Scripture. Look at what the Scripture says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 25. Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Amen. Then, notice this, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is multiple generations removed from, this is a couple of generations removed from Cain and Abel's dispute and Cain's murder of Abel. But imagine if Cain would have begun calling upon the name of the Lord. The first moment those feelings of envy and wrath developed within him. What do you do when you're struggling against the envy of your flesh? You call upon the name of the Lord. What do you do when you look at somebody who's being blessed and you're doing, you're, you know, I, I look at Cain's situation, I'm coming to a close. I look at Cain's situation and I can somewhat relate with him because Abel was a keeper of the sheep. It made sense for him to bring a firstling of the flock. Cain was a tiller of the ground. It made sense for him to bring the fruit of the ground. But when he brought the fruit of the ground, God said, I'm not interested in the fruit of the ground. I'm interested in the firstling of the flock. So, so Cain was doing it out of convenience. It's convenient for me to gather what I have accomplished and bring that to the Lord. But the Lord said, no, I want the firstling of the flock. You don't get angry at your brother because of God's favor that he shows upon them. But instead, instead you call upon the name of the Lord and let him minister to you and let him put things in perspective for you. You know, when you begin to get envious of someone and you begin to go in the way of Cain, the elders used to have a way of dealing with that. They would say, Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Oh, hallelujah. I want to say that again. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Oh, hallelujah. Don't just do one of these, thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done for me. You get into those things he has done for you, and you start naming them. Put a name on it. Thank you, Lord, for waking me up this morning. Thank you, Lord, that I can breathe with my lungs, that I'm not drowning in fluid in my lungs. Thank you, Lord, that my heart is beating correctly. Thank you, Lord, that my arms and my legs are moving. Thank you, Lord, that I've got friends today. Thank you, Lord, that my, this oxygen works right for my lungs. Thank you, Lord, that I've got a roof over my head. Thank you, Lord, that I've got clothes upon my back. Thank you, Lord, that my children are blessed and highly favored. Thank you, Lord, that you've kept your hand of protection upon us. 
thank you, Lord, that you brought us to a safe haven. Thank you, Lord. Come on, if you start naming them one by one, you will dismantle those lies of the enemy in your life that tells you that everything is wrong and that you don't have anything going for you and that God doesn't have any favor for you. Oh, yes, he does. He favors you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Oh, bless his name, bless his name, bless his name. Come on, let's praise him right now for his blessings in our life. Let's bless him right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Now here's what I want us to do. Because here's what we do so many times. We, we literally do name things that are going wrong one by one. We will literally name all the things that are going wrong. We will take time in conversation to say, this happened and that happened and that happened and this happened and then that happened and then they said this and then he did that and now I just got to go hurt somebody and then this happened and that happened. And we'll name everything that's going wrong in our life. But you've got, to, you've got to flip the script. Stop giving glory to the thing here or there that is going wrong and start giving God glory for the things that are going well. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I, you know what I do sometimes? Sometimes I just give God thanks for you, each and every one of you, because I see the handiwork of God in your life, and I see your faithfulness to the kingdom of God. Paul said, I, I pray for you, and I make mention of you in my prayers. Hallelujah. you got to thank God for every one, each one of his blessings in your life. Thank you, Jesus. That's what I want us to do all across this building. Because you know what? If there's a temptation to backslide, we're going we're gonna to deal with it right now. We're going to stand to our feet. We're going to lift our hands. And we're going to begin to thank God for each of his blessings in our life. For each one of them in Jesus' name. Come on. Thank him for your help. Thank him for your help. Amen. Thank him for your help. You might have had a health problem. Thank him for the things that are going right. For the things that are going right in your body. Thank Him for His daily provision. If you have been able to eat this week, you ought to thank God for every meal He provided. You ought to thank God, hallelujah, for every time you took a sip of water to drink. Because that was God providing for you. Don't go in the way of Cain. Don't start looking at others who are blessed and think that you're not. Don't let the wounds from others or the offense you feel towards somebody rob you of the glory of God in your life. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. No, no, in Jesus' name, it will not be said of me in the name of Jesus. It will not be said of me in the name of Jesus that he backslid, that he turned away from the Lord. Lord, let me always face you. Let me always face you. If I got to struggle, let me face you. Hallelujah. If I got to walk through whatever I got to walk through, Lord, I want to face you and your kingdom. Glory to the Lord. 
the name of Jesus. Glory to the name of Jesus. Glory to the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, I need somebody who's struggling right now. Don't you get lost in your struggle. And don't think your struggle means you've backslidden. You keep your face directed toward the Lord. Keep your eyes upon the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Keep your focus on God. Hallelujah. Oh, the devil would love to turn your struggle into backsliding. We're not going to let him do it in Jesus' name. We're not going to let him do it in Jesus' name. I'm concentrating on God. I'm looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. I'm looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, let's hear. Come on, lift up a thanks unto the Lord. For all you've done. For all you've done. I am so blessed. My soul has found rest. I give you thanks. Hallelujah. 